0: Hello, and welcome to On the Irregular with me, Java Berry, a podcast where I chat to women from all walks of life about their own unique creative journey, how they got here, how their story has shaped their creative work, what they've learned, what has helped them, and where they plan to go from here. It's an irregular journey for so many of us, and I am delighted to offer a platform to share these fascinating stories and wells of wisdom. This week, I'm chatting to visual artist, community builder, photographer, Jo Melia. Jo and I chatted about growing up and living with her mum's alcoholism, and the impact this had on her creative dreams. Parenting and being part of a neurodivergent family, her experiences of art school, her years working full-time in a bank, and setting up a makeup business on her own with two young children. The value of community, and the unique skills each of us have to offer. Since we recorded this episode in early January, as it snowed outside, Jo has continued further down her personal creative path and is currently absorbed in working with paint on canvas. These creative shifts are also something we touch upon. Welcome to episode seven with the thoughtful soul and queen of earthy color palettes, Jo Melia. So you, you wrote a little bit in your email to me about, about growing up and um, about, I guess, because we were chatting about, you know, what, what was your childhood dream? What did you want to do? do, you, do you, would you mind chatting to me a bit about that, about your childhood? and
1: Yeah, oh, where to start? Um, <laughs> it's a funny one, really. Um, I'd say it's, it's only been just over a year since um, I lost my mum. Uh, last last year the end of September so I'd say the last sort of year I've definitely had um, the opportunity really to to think about my childhood as you do with the whole phase (laughs) of living with you know living with your your parents so um, I'd say my, my childhood up until sort of teen years was was really joyful and I have a lot of Really great memories of um, of that. Um, My mum and dad both worked sort of several jobs to sort of make ends meet in in Hebden Bridge. My dad was a a police officer, and my mum did all sorts, along with working at local bars in Hebden um, over the years. But it was I've got a lot of happy memories and a lot of things that I've realised I kind of transfer over. to my children now. So I have a lot of traditions and things that I realize that I get a little bit caught up in. And I feel as though it's important, you know, like there's certain things we do at birthdays and Christmases. And um, James always laughs at me that I've got this weird thing about hot chocolate. It's like you always roll out the hot chocolate every time there's something happening. Like, if we go for a walk, you're like, oh we'll take flasks of hot chocolate. And I'm like, <laughs> I know, but you know, when you just have those like little memories from um from when you were little. And obviously when I was little, I didn't really realised that there was any kind of things going on with my mum but um, I'd say probably around the age of eight um, I kind of learned well she she sat me down and told me that I had a brother a half-brother um, and I think from there everything kind of unraveled a little bit um, because it it became sort of more apparent as time went on that my mum was probably um, a little bit uncertain and uh, she really struggled with her mental health although obviously at the time i didn't really have a clue what that was um i just i just kind of knew that she was um, very passionate very loving very creative um but equally could be so depressed and so down and everybody in the house would feel it um and um, my mum as with um <laughs> assuming many many people of that generation masked masked it with with drinking um you know she she was always sat <laughs> on the floor with a with a glass of brandy at three o'clock in the morning you know she was always she wasn't a kind of crazy party drinker but she she used it very much for comfort but as the years went on it, it kind of made things a bit more difficult and I suppose I learned uh, through her that it was it was great to be um, creative but the emotional side of things um, I always really struggled with because I felt just as deeply as she did but I felt ashamed of that because I kind of saw how that unraveled and you know showed itself and um, with my mum, so when you ask the question about did I have any dreams <laughs> um, as a child, you know what what I might want to do, I really found it hard. Actually, I've thought about that question quite a few times over the last sort of week, few weeks since I read it, um, and I couldn't visualize anything because I think I just felt so like absorbed in everybody else's feelings in the house, especially when you grow up in an environment where things are uncertain and you know one minute things are very happy and wonderful and dancing in the kitchen and baking and you know all those lovely traditional memories um and then the other sides of you know I have I have a particular vision without sounding too depressing because it wasn't always like that but of <clears throat> getting back from a caravanning holiday and and my mum just going in some crazy rage about something and I, I think understanding myself now I think she'd just gone from one kind of Happy situation, being out of the house, being able to socialize, had too much to drink, come home and felt the weight, you know, the weight of life um, on her shoulders. And I remember they're telling me off and asking me to brush the stairs, you know, like instead of vacuum, we used to kind of hand brush the stairs down. And I remember just having all these feelings of like, oh, <laughs> you know, like I can't even describe it to be honest. It was just a lot of weight, I'd say. I carried a lot of her weight for a lot of years. Mm -hmm. um and I think I gradually obviously managed to come round it but it -hmm. it takes a while
0: yeah and that's that's really that's really hard when you're a kid and like you said you don't understand what's happening with your parents all you're understanding is what they're communicating to you and they're setting the mood for the house (laughs) so you have no control really in that situation you're at the mercy of these big emotions that you can't understand and that sounds like a lot that sounds like a lot to 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 deal with as a child and then to revisit as an adult I guess to try and understand and it sounds like you've got a pretty clear grasp of it now I suppose having become a parent and just with time and with age but um yeah so I can imagine that maybe there wasn't a lot of space for
1: dreams in that well no I don't suppose so because I, I think even, you know, like myself, I've just listened to when you and John were chatting in the kitchen. And I think a lot of mine and James's conversations are really similar. You know, we, we kind of dream up all sorts of things now. Um, and he's always, always asking me what I would love to do um, and if I could do anything. And I've always had a huge block on it. Like, and I don't know if it's because. <clears throat> It's not because I'm unable to come up with ideas because I have loads of ideas, (laughs) loads and loads, far too many, I'd say. But um, I think and it's not the kind of creating things either, because I'd say between us, we're very capable of making things happen um we you know we can really drive things you know and put and put energies into it and that's what we have managed to do over the years all all being kind of you know lots of variations we've we've done a lot of different kind of jobs over the years and um explored lots of different avenues but I don't know it's kind of um he always asked me and I've always had this block and I used to be really fearful of it. It was a bit like a bit of a punch in the stomach, almost like, why can't I have this dream? You know, why can't I just come out with it? But I think through kind of um, really processing things and and learning from my own children, I guess I'm chatting to other people and, um, I've had I've probably had therapy now for for on and off for the last five years, just because of the different circumstances. And I guess what's great about that in this day and age really is that you get to learn a lot more um, and, and understand a lot more of those kind of, you know, reasons why you find things difficult or um behaviors and <clears throat> and that kind of thing. And and I definitely am finding it a lot easier now, you know, to be able to come up with dreams and and ideas of things I, th- I think it's perhaps constantly being the one that has to think about everybody else's you know energies i definitely say i'm affected by energies um quite a lot i don't really understand it in in a huge amount of detail other than that you know they can be absolutely overwhelming so yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um but it is nice when you can get into your own space you know and i think that's kind of what I've been working towards for the past, you know, 10 or more years. And it's uh, it's just such a, a lovely thing to, to feel. I think when when you've spent a lot of your life feeling anxious and worried about what other people's energies are like and how you will manage those. It's so freeing to be able to realise that you've got your own. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, I'm 43 <laughs> and I'm probably only just beginning to realise that, you know, there's there's lots of possibilities of of things um, that you can do with your time, really. Um, and, and a lot of that changes when you've had kids as well, doesn't it? Because, you know, that... Um, I don't think I ever thought I would have them. That's so weird. It's so weird to think considering I've got three. (laughs) I was literally like, I just, I don't know what it was. I think I was, I wasn't, I wasn't terrified of having children, but I think it was just like, yeah, I, I just... I just don't know if I could do it and and I was very anxious as a, as a child and a teenager so I think it was just like I think I'm gonna die giving birth like I got myself into this <laughs> headspace of like that's not physically possible <laughs> um and then went on to have three of them and 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 I can honestly say like you know as as hard as those experiences were and and all encompassing i Still, say the, those moments of of bringing life um, are still so blooming incredible. You know, like I just each one of them is very different as as our you know each each of the three children are really different and two of them feel like they're on their way to becoming young adults now which is a whole different ball game yeah. um, in many many ways as we have discussed in previous times there's lots of very amusing things that come with uh, with owning two teenagers I'll have to hope they don't listen to this because they'll be like oh no mom, don't say it um, but yeah it's just there's there's obviously points in life that make you kind of realize that you know, life is really precious, and and I guess, um, along with bringing life and and seeing it disappear, um, there's there's a lot of moments within that that almost kind of push you to go right. Well, what's next then? You know, what 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 am I here for? All the big, I guess I'm probably always here for the big questions. I, I, it seems really silly because in my everyday, I do a lot of very. I don't even want to say dull but very mundane kind of daily things I'm always the one sweeping the floor I'm always folding clothes and doing all of that but I do have quite a balance going on in my body and my mind at the moment that I feel as though I kind of need to work a bit more on being outside of that kind of physical you know that physical kind of persona
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I don't know whether or not that that's something that a lot of parents go through that kind of you know you you kind of build yourself into what it's like to be a parent and what you want that to look like
0: yeah like the dynamics of of everyday parenthood and I guess it's that thing of of reconnecting with your soul and yeah, the the more ethereal bit that I suppose isn't as useful when it comes to sweeping the floor. Although you know you can do some great daydreaming when sweeping the floor. Yes. But um, and, yeah. yeah, coming back to that bit, and I think that's possibly often what what leads to feel those feelings of frustration and depression is having so little time to simply be because you're you're endlessly needed. You're yes. needed all the time, and it's it can be crushing. I watched. Um, the Lost Daughter last night, Maggie yeah. Gyllenhaal's film with Olivia Colman. Have you seen it yet? I
1: have not, but I will.
0: Okay, yeah. Prepare yourself for, for some big feelings.
1: <laughs> well, I think I, I spoke to um, one of our, our mutual friends, I don't know how to do this in podcast, Will, but but Laurie from Dear Prudence, and she yeah. said, I think we had you and I had both watched, um, what was it called, Made, as in M A D more or less at the same time or perhaps i must have watched it the week before and I was sort of chatting to Laurie about it and then she said that you'd either called her or messaged her with very similar kind of yeah. feelings yeah just a lot came from um from that so I'd be interested to to watch it I might have to wait a week <laughs> get into a slightly different headspace I never realized that those kind of things because sometimes it just comes out of the blue don't they how how that kind of you know how music affects you how you know a you know a moment in time can just completely blow your mind and you're not expecting it to kind of come and that equally can be in a great way as well can't it it's not always in that kind of heaviness but but I definitely agree with you I've definitely felt those um those moments of you know even even up to very recently I I think one of the things that um we negotiate a lot on a on a regular basis and I do talk about it in in a lot of our kind of um you know written work on the website and and if I ever do any kind of post on Instagram I try and talk a lot about um having a neurodivergent family just because that's kind of what's come to light quite a lot in the last, um, I'd say in the last five or six years as an official kind of, you know, diagnosis point of view rather than a parent knowing feeling. (laughs) Um, But yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of different things that we've, we've, we've got um, the two boys, um, as two boys are from my previous marriage, but we've lived with James since they were sort of four and five, four and six. Um and um and then we've we've got Margot and and James was diagnosed with ADHD or um attention deficit disorder with a little bit of hyper hyperactivity still, <laughs> just to kind of tick that box. He, he made sure that he got that one in there, bless him. Um and you know, I think when and Logan has a few other bits and pieces that that we, we manage through school and through a lot of things, a lot of work at home um a lot of resilience building a lot of understanding of kind of different it's not just different ways of thinking either it's different ways of processing different ways of behaving um and it feels like a little bit of a i'm trying to describe it it does very much feel like walking through through the woods when there's loads of kind of brambles and stuff everywhere because you it's so beautiful and you can see the you can kind of see um the creative opportunities and these wonderful minds working, but because we have to tread through all the standard kind of schooling and, um, you know, workplaces and accounts and oh, all that stuff that is just part of daily life, um, it's you know, it, it's just an interesting game to be playing. I think that's the only way I can kind <laughs> that's of describe a perfect it. way of putting it, <laughs> yeah um it, it's funny actually because for, for some odd reason um when I was growing up my dad used to love anything sci-fi so we used to watch Star Trek together and James thinks it's kind of hilarious that I kind of know loads of stuff about Star Trek but over Christmas I think me and the boys have watched loads of kind of superhero type stuff like Superman because me and my dad watched that in the 80s and we've watched all the new ones and I watched Hunger Games and and I think me and James had a conversation about how you know life does very much feel like a bit of a game at times and you have to play it to, to a certain, you know, you don't have to play it to other people's, you know, expectations, but you have to be willing to kind of push through those standards of expectation. And I very much feel as though our generation, um, are the ones that have been able to understand more about mental health and, um, possibilities I guess like changing things going on um but we're also the ones to try and implement the new changes and make sure that our own kids kind of grow up in a healthy safe environment um and yeah it's it it feels like an incredible opportunity to be honest but equally it's quite weighty yeah (laughs) um just in that you know that I certainly don't want any of my children to grow up or any any child to grow up feeling as though they are lacking or too much, you know, there's both sides to that. Um,
0: It's kind of been gradually working towards it, hasn't it? And then it just feels like it's become more of a social open conversation um, yeah. and then it's taken for granted that you know we talk about mental health um you know there's still a lot of work to be done but yeah that we're still doing all of our work and that we're having children thinking like right well, it's, I, I think i sometimes i think how am i going to get it right and it's accepting that i'm not going to get it right even no. when i have you know
1: still of, all the information
0: yeah, yeah yeah it's still i'm still going to mess up and my kids will probably still end up in therapy <laughs> and, you know But hopefully, hopefully the the world will just keep on allowing them more opportunities to discuss, you know, what they're feeling, what they want, and, and equip them with the vocabulary and the ideas to, to, to understand that and express it, I suppose.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, having um, children, not just children, but a partner, obviously, as well, that, that, uh, you know, is neurodiverse, um, there's... There's got to be an appreciation within that of, you know, there's, there's a lot of information out there at the moment, which is incredible. I, d- I don't want to say that it's not useful to have, you know, Instagram pages with memes on about ADHD. You know, it's not it's not a bad thing that our children understand um or asking questions about other forms of diversity it's incredible that they have that information available to them and they're able to ask those questions in a safe environment in you know within their homes and with their peers um but there's an element of it that that I have to grasp onto and it's that kind of um you know with neurodiverse minds and creative minds in particular there's there's a lot of scope for changes there's a lot of um different ways like I think I've had conversations with all of my kids in in the last sort of 10 years um and some of them have really surprised me when I felt that kind of horrible heaviness of worry and you know like I don't know how We're going to get through this. We've had moments where, you know, perhaps one of the children, um, we had a a Labrador. You might hear the dogs in a bit. We've always had animals, but we had a particular dog for quite a few years. And um, Logan would come home from school and he would just cuddle up with the dog on the floor like he didn't care where they were. He would just kind of spoon the dog on the floor um, when he got home from high school. And that was his way of kind of. Um, reconnecting um, with his comfortable space you know with his kind of his home space and he wasn't putting on any kind of front to behave well at school or do all the things that was expected of him um, and he you know connected his breathing um, with the dog on the floor uh, and after half an hour he'd kind of come around again and and be able to you know sort of join in with with whatever we were doing and, and there are times when I see things like that and I have done over the years where you know as being a parent you're kind of like oh god that's such a big feeling you know to see him doing that and know that that's your child that needs that and allow it but then there's got to be some wondering in that that you know they're learning ways of connecting they're learning ways of of kind of calming themselves they're being allowed to be themselves and and i find this not only with the children but but with James as well, you know, he—I always used to joke and say that it was a bit like a big puppy, <laughs> which is really not very kind sounding, to be honest. I don't mean that in a, in a sort of, you know, immature way, but he does bound at things with this amazing energy and enthusiasm, and what's the best word? And it's it, there's an innocence there, mm-hmm. um, as well as kind of a curiosity. I'd say, you know, I think that's definitely what's driven both of us. Um, in the last 10 years of being together and working together has been that curiosity and we're always the people that will come away from chatting to somebody and we'll be like oh my god I love them I love that person and that was so great you know just get this amazing feeling from spending time with with people and hearing their stories and um, and how they've managed things or how they've gone about something or whatever and and there's just I, I, I never want to sort of we were talking recently about how there's all these different neurodiverse terms out there. And sometimes you kind of end up feeling like that's all you are. Mm-hmm. You know, just a, a kind of diagnosis or a term, or especially when you it's becoming so familiar in in all these languages now that you know oh well if you have um you know if you're dyslexic or if you're dyspraxic have you ever done this you know and they've done it kind of joking you go oh my god that's me and then you think oh but I'm not special now everybody does that (laughs) me and James had a bit of a joke about it over Christmas and we were like well basically obviously James was diagnosed with um ADD in the first lockdown mainly because we were really struggling to kind of work at home as well as having all three children at home and he was finding it increasingly difficult to kind of focus and um just just having periods where I wouldn't say it was like a depression um but I'm not even going to be able to remember the term for it now but I'll try and remember but um it's kind of like it's a bit like a depression but it's specifically attached to ADHD where you you kind of just go into this shameful kind of thought process where you just think I ruin everything. I kind of always do things wrong. And there's no explanation to the feeling either. Sometimes you just kind of say it was a bit like being in a dark hole and I couldn't get out. Um, So we, we kind of had to approach it at that point because there was no other way. You know, we were kind of all at home, as were so many people just living every day (laughs) in their own spaces with their own people in their own heads you know with their own things around them there was no choice really was there but to kind of just go all in (laughs) because you were all just kind of there doing it um but but there was a lot of great things that that kind of came out of that and and also a lot of a lot more exploration like I think we're, we're thinking it, it's possible that it might be transferred through to Margot. It is hereditary, so we're we're already picking up on little bits and pieces without forcing a diagnosis on her. Just just to be there to listen, to pay attention to her needs and her behaviours, um, and and there's there's something really magical in in opening it up and going actually just because it takes a half an hour to eat a breakfast i'm not saying that's just a, an adhd thing by the way i'm pretty sure that's quite normal but <laughs> um without touching something or without getting up like 20 different times because she's thought about something else she might want to get up and do or touch or see um we're kind of making it into a bit of a game now and same with getting ready and, and i suppose it just makes you turn things around a bit doesn't it it's like you've just got to kind of twist it up a bit and go well what else can we do then yeah.
0: you know and is that, that reminds me of what you were saying earlier about how life is a game and yeah that, yeah it's like finding your way through that i often think that with with our kids like if i just if i could just flip it and instead of telling them off it's like okay let's just find a different way this would be so much more fun um yeah. but you know and it's and it's and it can it's it's i think it's really really
1: Powerful if you can do that. I just, I always think that I'd be a bit
0: better at it if I got a bit more sleep.
1: <laughs> well, do you know that's, I was going to say that to you before. Like, I think sometimes um as a parent, you do give yourself quite a hard time about it. But, um you know, we, we, we've very much in the last couple of years been living in in the spaces with our children um and you know that we're very much keen on seeing what they're doing and how they're developing and what they're doing and um you, you kind of get involved quite a lot don't you and, and we were chatting the other day saying how you know you would have previously had times where you had have been like just go you know your mum would have said just go play just go just go <laughs> just go outside just you know your own space have your own time um whereas we're kind of in there all the time so it is quite hard and I I very much felt the same I think I said to you earlier they've only just all gone back to school after Christmas and I think not yesterday but the day before I suddenly had this like oh feeling the thought of kind of dropping this mother role that I've very much taken on in the last three weeks and you know being in the house with them trying to be entertaining you know trying to feed them clothe them wash them all that kind of thing um, and and like you said with with your boys you know they're the very um they're very they can be very intense um and I don't mean that in a bad way I just mean that you know there's a lot going on <laughs> there's a lot of thoughts there's a lot of feelings um, and and I definitely agree with you that if you you know if you can give yourself space it's easier to be more creative with your parenting isn't it if you can give yourself that even even just like half a day out I feel like a different person when I come back
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was I was talking about this the other day actually I think on the zoom for the workshop that I always come back to the analogy of the glass balls and the plastic balls and <laughs> it's about juggling them and knowing which ones you can let drop to the floor and they'll survive and which ones they're the glass ones you've got to keep those up and yeah. sometimes they're the ones that that you think that you can let go because... You can just ignore them but i think one of the, the key ones is mental health is mental health and prioritizing yourself because if you let that one drop then everything else crumbles and i know it's so hard to do like i am such a culprit of it of just kind of pushing that to the back and say oh yeah I'll, I'll i'll go for a walk later or i'll have a bath another day because there's just too many things to be done but then it just builds up and builds up and builds up and two years later you know you have a breakdown or something <laughs> yeah, and, and and same like you were saying you you can't be the parent that your children deserve Well, you you will you, stop enjoying parenting and mm. your, your kids aren't going to be enjoying you so it's of course it's it's never going to be perfect but trying to find that balance and trying to prioritize yourself it just makes everything so much easier but again it's that you know yeah. ha- finding that space if you don't have childcare, if you don't have anyone that can give you that respite even if it's just for half an hour for an hour mm. you know that's when things start to really get quite scary and and
1: and I think I know um when I was thinking about my own parents and and you know the imagining or trying to remember some of the things that we did together because you, you know you try to go what what did I remember you know what was important to me as a child what are those lovely memories um, and, and they're not always, are they? They're not the big things that that mm. they probably thought they did. It won't be any of that stuff. It'll sometimes just be the kind of little day-to-day things. Um, but it is just having those little openings of, of time. And I know um, certainly when my mum was alive um, and, you know, we were more in contact with each other, things did break down over the last four years. But when we were in contact with each other, Um, my mum was really hard working and I I think she only actually retired maybe seven years before she died so uh, she found it really hard to stop like my mum always needed a purpose she always needed to be doing something you know she was always knitting or coming up with a new business project in her 70s you know there was always something something she was coming up with she was like you know, she she was she was really intellectual with my mom, and didn't get the chance to go to uni because they just couldn't afford it, really. And and then she ended up with a son when she was nineteen. So there was a lot of kind of built up missing moments, I think, for her. And she she used to listen to the radio and hear all the politics and stuff, and or she'd hear about somebody famous that had died and she'd mourn them like she knew them you know she was just so full of like feeling and I just I still laugh now because she'd she'd sort of um watch she'd listen to the radio and and she'd hear some politicians kind of arguing and she'd have some major theory on (laughs) what was going on but she'd forget that I'd not heard like half of this conversation that she'd been listening to and she'd ring me and just be like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, <laughs> then she'd get really angry this is going on and I'd think oh goodness me <laughs> um but I don't know there's just some great moments that have, have kind of happened and and I, I think more than anything um as as we sort of get older I'm, I'm realizing that it's not always about kind of the opportunities that you've had in front of you or how much you've been striving to get somewhere um, it's very much about the kind of bits in between, isn't it? It's it's and it's, a, it's a cliche, but it is literally all about the journey, um, and all those um, all those ups and downs just really help to shape who you are and where you go in. and And you don't always have, I don't know, you just you don't always get a choice, do you? I very much feel these days that a choice. You know, we, we definitely try and make sure. Um the kids know that they can make choices and they can do whatever they want to do you know in the same way that obviously myself and James are both self-employed and we have been for the last sort of 10-12 years um, we, we always say you know you can do what you want and I think the older the kids get the boys get they're like what do you mean what hmm. do you mean I can do whatever I want you know uh, even down to <laughs> the 15 year old we was saying the other day um, maybe you could get a job <laughs> Maybe you're kind of eating a tin of ravioli in your bedroom with a fork when it's cold, and maybe it's time that you just go and earn some of your own ravioli money. <laughs> <laughs> and um and he was like, Well, I could I could do some washing up. It's was like you could. You could you don't really like doing it at home. But yes, you could. You could totally do some washing up. You talked
0: a bit about how. Yeah, you did. You really loved singing, and you yes, always, yeah. um, um, you always kind of felt creative urges, and you spent a lot of time thinking and writing and reading. Like you said, listening to music, and and so you managed to find your way to going to uni to study visual arts, didn't you? Yes,
1: I did. Yeah, yeah. Went to uni in Salford. Um, I didn't go through the standard route. I did my A levels. Um, I got glandular fever at the same time as doing my a levels, so I did struggle to be in school a lot and I'd already found more conceptual arts so don't think the teachers really agreed with the kind of things that I was producing um, for my A-level art stuff <laughs> so I think in the end I got like a D or something um, but yeah I managed to kind of go to college did a foundation degree and then applied to quite a few different ones um, they all terrified me, to be honest, going to the interviews. And in the end, it was actually somebody that knew the one of the tutors at Salford um, University that um, it wasn't even part of the route either. She just said, I've got this student. She loves conceptual art. She's really passionate about it um I think at the time I'd been kind of (laughs) I'd been making um installations out of things like coffee been painting with coffee and um painting with um fabric conditioner (laughs) um I was literally all about the kind of sensory experience um I'm sure I did other things that were more kind of sensible with my art foundation but yeah I kind of got put forward to this lovely guy and um and I went for an interview with him, a guy called Paul. Uh, and he was a bit off the wall. And the interview was so, so different to the ones I'd had in the like traditional kind of education houses. Um the interviews were so weird. Like I think one was in Cumbria, and it was it was quite quite professional. I loved the studios. I felt so excited going in them all, but and I always just used to think, oh, I can't imagine being here, you know, like this is for real artists. <laughs> Uh, and I remember trying. To, I was really into makeup at the time, which another another avenue I've gone down. But um, I was very very much into drawing my face up like a sixties 60s, sixties uh, 60s star. So I used to kind of full on do the eyeliner and the and the crease in the eyelid. And I remember going to I had an interview at Derby, and I remember going all done up, thinking I looked just like an art student. I thought they're definitely going to want me <laughs> <laughs> because I've got looked the part. I was so nervous. I'm so so nervous. Wow. Um, I just yeah I think I just froze in the interview to be honest I couldn't really kind of get it across so it, it going going into Salford and hearing the you know very Manchester accents and it felt so familiar um, and I, I can't describe it any other way it just felt like it, it didn't feel like home it just felt right yeah
0: um,
1: it felt very comfortable um, but also like I could really explore different avenues so um so yeah I went to Salford for um for three years which was quite an experience really. Um it I wouldn't say it was it's certainly not a vocational degree. Goodness me, it's not nothing like that.
0: Going into it, did you have any idea of where it could possibly take you in the future?
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> No it was just something that I felt like I was good at and I was like yeah not even good at it was like right I have all these thoughts and all these massive feelings and I can kind of extend them out of my head and my body enough to have an effect on other people Um, and because my thoughts were quite complex like when I when I did my dissertation (laughs) still makes me giggle a bit now but I was trying to explain it to James the other day and I've told him a hundred times what my final show was. And he's like, tell me again what you did. It's <laughs> like, like, right, well, <laughs> I was like, well, I took photographs. So that's when the photography bit kind of started. I had a nice camera, I took photographs of, <clears throat> so it was a part, I had a boyfriend at the time and, and they were little photographs. They were photographs close up of kind of his, like say his hand kind of curled up. So, you know, like the skin all kind of, Reached yeah. up and uh, the nape of his neck and other bits and pieces but I kind of manipulated the images so that the colours were much more vibrant so any pinks turned to reds and things like that so they they kind of looked a bit like intimate. Areas. <laughs> Honestly if, if I could I will one day share those photographs with you because my dad being a policeman from Hebden Bridge was a bit like what the heck are you doing <laughs> and obviously I was so proud I got like I got when I ha- when I put it all together because I kind of they gave me the main space in, in the exhibition hall. And I was like, wow, I can't believe I got this, considering it was so weird. And I, I printed them out so they were exactly the right size, as though they could be quite intimate kind of areas. And I literally pinned them to the wall in that position so you couldn't think they were anything other than that. <laughs> and there were literally like probably 15 to 20 of them in this main space. And I still remember now my dad coming in and just looking and going... Uh, but this it. is what you went to uni for <laughs> and he still he'll still joke now I can't believe I paid for that I'm like yeah <laughs> um but I loved it and you know I met people there we, there was myself and another um another guy that he got he was the only one in our year that got a first um I think I was quite quite close by with mine because I'd gone really down the conceptual route. Yeah, my dissertation, I basically went to see the sensation show, the, the Saatchi sensation show, and I was massively inspired by how Crazy and hideous, a lot of those things were, and how, like in my mind, in my small mind, I was just like exploring all these new avenues. So I spent most of my um, last year researching um, quite feminist kind of topics, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're all very much about um, how, over the years of our kind of, it started off as um, men um, viewing women. And, photo, and painting them and they weren't allowed to look at them and then obviously they were allowed to look at women from a voyeur point of view um, but I went right into the the newer kind of generation and the feminist generation where they would be literally doing kind of you know full explorations into the female body and and, and it was all, all about kind of the the idea that women had overflowing boundaries you know, that their skin was overflowing, their bodily fluids were overflowing. I know this is probably a bit graphic, but, you know, their emotions were overflowing. They were too much. You know, there was always going to be too much. Um, and I just I loved exploring that and and showcasing that that wasn't necessarily the case, you know, that it's beautiful um, in all its different ways. And it's funny because I've only just recently kind of come back to the fact that I did study feminism <laughs> in that time, you know, and I'd not really kind of connected with it or ever thought that I was kind of very certain about those ideas. Um, Because when I finished my degree, I went straight into a very normal job and met a very sort of sensible person um, and, you know, settled into a very kind of standard life, I'd say. And I was like... was
0: it something that you'd thought that you you wanted because you must have been very young
1: no no but I think the combination of being of growing up with somebody who wasn't particularly stable who had these massive dreams and um her own kind of massive feelings and and these needs that she had that weren't met but also having my dad who was very stable very straightforward always there always has been there such a you know incredible kind of stabilizing um, figure in in my life. I kind of wanted to go back to that. I felt as though I'd gone too far outside my boundaries, um, and I needed to kind of show that it was it was worth putting that investment into me. Um, so I'd already done. I already worked for a bank while I was doing my degree for money, um, and I just went full time into doing that, and it was probably. I don't want to say it was the worst thing I ever did because you, learned, you learn from everything that you do. You really do. Um, but I don't think it did anything for my confidence whatsoever. I, I completely lost sight of who it was.
0: Wow. God, that's such a contrast from what seems like at uni, really ex- pushing your boundaries and exploring yeah. and I'm going really quite deep and doing some pretty kind of far out stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So right, I'm now going to go work it's about it. it. I mean, yeah. if that's not pulling back, bank. I don't know what is, you
1: know. I worked in a bank. My mum my mom and my stepdad worked in a golf club, so I'd work there on a weekend. I met a guy that played golf there that was, you know, to be honest, not the greatest without going into too much detail. And unfortunately, because I didn't have a lot of self-love um, through the experiences with, you know, with whatever happened in the past, um, I kind of was guided you know I, I very much followed the route I, I dressed differently I looked different I starved myself I didn't really eat very well I felt as though I wasn't I just felt as though I was too much yeah. all the time and he told me I was too much as well to be honest so
0: well, and, um, that, and that again that's the again, mm-hmm. like in mirroring what you were talking about women overflowing emotions overflowing mm-hmm. skin overflowing and then and then you try and make yourself smaller and less of you
1: yeah I absolutely made myself smaller yeah yeah and it's I mean it's funny because James saw the other side in me as soon as we met which is quite funny because in between that um I'd met the boy's dad who was a wonderful guy um very straight down the line really caring really nurturing came from A really kind of steady family background Um, and at that time it was just what I needed you know I was working in the bank so was he I felt as though he understood me Um, we could talk about similar things when we got home Um, and they just took me in with open arms at a time when I felt very you know unsure of what was going on and who was supposed to be Um, and you know as much as we're not together anymore. Um, And it was, you know, it's such a difficult thing to to admit to, but it was my choice. It was my choice because I think I eventually, when I turned 30 and had both the boys thought, what on earth is this life I'm living? What on earth am I doing here? How did I get here? You know, Um, I was still working in a bank. I was a manager at that point. And, you know, it just, it was killing me. It was absolutely killing me doing that job. Um, I tried to make it as kind of creative as I could I ran a team of people and I was always coming up with new ideas to kind of inspire them and incentivize them but in a really we were we we're in a real sales team so working in like commercial banking so or retail banking so just you know as soon as you'd push them and got them to the point where we, we delivered results you'd be right back down to the beginning and, and the you know the, the retail managers they were filtering down every morning like didn't do enough you've got to do better tomorrow got to do better tomorrow so every day you would be going through this cycle of like psychologically having to build your team up and then cut them at the end of the day and go well done but we've got to do better um and there was a lot more that went on with it than just that and I still remember now I'd I'd had Logan and he had um he wasn't ill when he was born but he he had really bad reflux which i would never heard of before um And he was poorly probably till he was about nine months. And he ended up in hospital with broncholitis. He he wasn't really, really ill, but there were periods of time when I couldn't put him down. You know, it kind of got to that point. And the boys are only like 19, 20 months apart. So um, it was very tying for somebody that had a lot of creative thoughts. I guess that's probably the best way of saying it. Um, And I was kind of, I remember... I had this management role and I worked for, I actually worked for um, another bigger bank and they were just closing it all down at the time. Um, They were closing sections down and selling them off. (laughs) Um, And it was literally at that point where you didn't tell them that you were expecting, (sighs) even though you'd think in that day and age, that must've been sort of 12, 13 years ago, that you'd potentially get fired. (laughs) And completely lose your job so it was absolutely terrifying to kind of be building your family at that point and I just thought this can't be a way of living you know I can't be living in this way um and I went back in um <laughs> I still remember actually they asked me if I could um they asked me if I could go in for a meeting um a week after I'd had Logan when I was breastfeeding and in in, Le- in Leeds and I was like <laughs> no <laughs> can you imagine um
0: Jesus.
1: It was just, just all a bit, a bit crazy. Um and yeah, I remember them I'd had some time off and and they'd had to kind of um they involved the union because there was loads of other rubbish going on. There was a lot of bullying, like internal kind of stuff going on and manipulation. Um and they'd paid thousands of pounds to send people to London for this course. And I'd been doing a bit of CBT while I'd been off because Logan was so poorly, I'd got into kind of a trauma state, you know, because I couldn't put him down and I just felt constantly on high alert um, because he used to choke quite a lot with it. Um, and I just remember going, I've been doing some CBT in my home life and then I'd gone to this course. I was like, go on, then I'll go and do it. I'll, I'll do this as a last kind of push and see if it works. And they literally did this weird kind of it was almost like they did CBT on us. Mm -hmm. Um, They brought in this training team that did CBT on us, um, but it was to get us to sell things to people. (laughs) My mind was blown and I'm quite... um, diplomatic to be fair i think that's definitely something that i've learned over the years i'm usually quite diplomatic and i went with a friend who was massively outspoken and she was flipping brilliant to be honest i think at the time i was cringing but she was like why are you telling us that why are you getting us to do this (laughs) we were there for a week (laughs) in this beautiful hotel that was outside the london eye i could literally see it from a very expensive bedroom window um and i was like what are they doing this is literally brainwashing absolutely ridiculous um, and I came back and they basically said we don't have any management jobs for part-time workers um, you're either going to have to come in full-time which we couldn't do um, or you're going to have to you know take a different role so basically the the years worth of experience that I'd built up to become a manager um, they just wanted me to go right back on the front line and and you know be paid the same which was amazing um but go right back to working on on the front line doing the cashiering Mm -hmm. and I just didn't have it in me to do it I couldn't I couldn't bring myself to do that Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I quit.
0: Wow and did you have any idea because with two kids Mm. that's that's a huge that's a brave decision to make that's I mean also shows just how awful it must have felt working in those circumstances.
1: I don't know. I don't know if it was brave. I think I'd just got to the point where I'd been ground down that much. I don't think I knew what else to do. And and my um husband at the time had been also in we we worked together, you know. I said we worked in, in for the same mm-hmm. company, and and he'd been off, he'd been off sick for six months through some internal kind of bullying that had gone on. So mm-hmm. um we were in quite a vulnerable position anyway. Um, and none of it felt safe. But I just thought I've got to make a change, you know, something's got to to change here and and I'd, I'd always I'd been doing a bit of makeup um it was a bit of a something for me you know while the boys were small I used to whenever they had the naps I'd go and practice mm-hmm. um and do an hour and I'd go I'd go and do the school run with like a full-on 60's <laughs> face <phase. laughs> <laughs> I mean, um but I loved it it was just it, it wasn't like sort of pushing myself to be a different person but I just loved being able to create every day you know be able to kind of try something new and new techniques and learning and yeah that's kind of where that went next so yeah I ended up um, setting up my own makeup business I went to London and did a week's course with two makeup artists that um, had been they'd they'd done incredible things I think their aunt was um, Princess Diana's makeup artist so obviously they'd come from um a family full of artists anyway. royalty. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> and actually it's, it feels really weird now saying this but they they were literally like YouTube royalty at the time. They they were some of the first people that did tutorials online. Um yeah. so yeah, meeting them was really weird and I literally left my um one-year-old and three-year-old at home with my husband for the week.
0: <laughs> Just was like, "See ya." That <laughs> must have that, I must have felt pretty lovely.
1: Oh, gosh, yeah. It was great to spend the week with my sister as well, you know, just going to... I mean, I was terrified, but at the same time, I've got so many nice memories of eating such lovely food while we were there. And her friends are all really creative and stuff. So we had like dinner parties and... I ended up doing crazy experimental makeup on some of some of her friends, you know, just to practice and stuff. We've still got all, all the photos and one of her roommates was really into Queen and I grew up listening to Queen. So we had like some sort of evening where he played it all and I sang my heart out in his room. <laughs> so yeah, it was just a good, yeah, really great experience. But in doing that, when I came back, I was like, yeah, I kind of need to quit my job and set up on my own. So, yeah, um, it meant pulling the kids out of nursery. And, you know, we've talked about this before, and this is one of the difficulties as a compromise for me going, do you know what, I'll set up a business on my own. I then lost my childcare.
0: It's it's infuriating and the complete opposite of what it should be, surely.
1: Yeah, I got more help when I was working for somebody yeah. than when I when I set up on my own. So I kind of doubled up the stress, to be honest, because I was with the boys every day during the week Um, and then every evening I'd go out and do makeup trials or you know and then at the weekends I'd be I'd be doing wedding and and, um, kind of occasional makeup so I built my own wedding makeup business and ended up working in the wedding industry for about seven years and that's how I met James um so yeah just I kind of did this course they taught you how to um design your own website and I just came home and I think because I was 30 as well I was in the right position to go you know, this is my time and, and, and I'm going to do this for my family. I'm going to do something creative and I'm not going to be pushed into some strange kind of corners. Um, And I I, I was very determined that my business would be done. I mean, it, it feels really rudimentary now, actually, but I felt as though my business would be kind of, um, I knew I wanted it to be on an experience level. Like I always sold the business as they would get me and the experience that came with that like they'd have this nice calm influence
0: Mm -hmm. I can't
1: tell you the amount of like wedding dresses I've fastened up and Mm -hmm. you know mums that I've given a hug when they've had a bit of a cry and I've probably joined in myself (laughs) Um, (laughs) I worked with one of my best friends, Kizzy, for a while. She worked on cruise ships doing um, hair. So she was a hair master. I can't even describe it. She can just whip stuff up in like no time at all. And we did it as a team for about three years. And she didn't drive, so I drove us everywhere. Um, She provided the food. She used to like pass over snacks while we were driving. Um, And it was just such a, it was a difficult time because I'd moved out on my own with the boys um, and I lost a lot of weight and I was really poorly um but it was a lot of fun as well you know just being able to kind of just own what we were doing and
0: what uh, you were just describing about um you know that you would you would offer yourself like the whole experience it wasn't just mm -hmm. about what would end up on their face but it was about the nurturing and and the calm presence and Mm. it makes me think about that's something that you still carry now yeah. when you know in the studio with all the scents that you you know yeah. make sure that it smells nice and that the plants are there and then it feels calm <laughs> and you know that's very much who you are and and that's that's so beautiful that you could identify that so early on as, as a as a real um, value and a real quality that, that yeah, you know, because that it's not to. just
1: about you know it's silly with makeup saying face value but it's literally not just going with some nice luxury products and going I'm going to make you look like so and so you know it was it was always about so much more and I think I realized I mean I gave up doing makeup after Margot was born because as in as a full-time or even part-time job because I just didn't have the time to do that and run the photography business with James and have the family and the home and all that kind of thing so um but yeah I think what I learned at that point I I gave up on the makeup because it had become a very aesthetic based business so I would turn up to do jobs and and they'd all say can you make me look like Cheryl Cole (laughs) or something (laughs) and I hated that because that I I very much encourage people to feel like their best selves you know like from a more internal point of view let's bring out your best features you know let's you know you, you don't want to be turning up on that day and not feel like you in your own skin and, and that was that was the avenue you know that was the area that I came from and it became much too you know very much about the aesthetics and it just didn't didn't sit right with me so um and then obviously once I'd met James and and I saw how he was creative with the photography and, and what you could you know potentially capture and and the way he saw the light and the way he's you know the things he saw with people it just resonated with me in in ways that I'd I'd never really come across before you know it literally blew my mind when he taught me how to take photographs and and I saw what came out of those um and I know I had quite a lot of friends that probably thought I should have never given up um on you know the, the makeup business that I'd set up but I've tried a lot of things, Java. I've done a lot of different jobs over the years, you know, and I don't know, I think you just sometimes have to go, you just have to go with it, don't you? Yeah. And see where, it, see where Yeah, it exactly.
0: And it's, it's tricky, isn't it? Because I can see how people from the outside might have thought that, but it, it's weighing it up, isn't it? Like I said, it's weighing it up and what feels comfortable. And just because you're good at something or you excel at something doesn't mean that's the right thing for you to be doing at that time in your life. And you can always come back to it. And, you know, it doesn't, I can understand how friends might think that you're letting yourself down Oh, but you're so good at that why don't you go back to doing that you know it's like well maybe I will one day but you know not right now and it's not because because I'm stopping myself it's not because I'm not allowing myself to do something that I love it's just it's not the right fit for this moment in time.
1: I think it didn't at the time it didn't really align with the new kind of thoughts that I was having Mm. um working in the photography industry and spending time with people and, and watching people's relationships develop um kind of you know whatever kind of photography we did seeing how people would put all the time and effort into creating their own businesses creating their own products and um, their own services you know it, there, there was just something so incredible in photographing families you know seeing the different dynamics and were it hit me on a completely different level. Did the photography, and I couldn't not go with it. You know, it was one of those like, once i would seen the kind of, you know, I'm, I'm going to say the light, as in, you know, we called the <laughs> course "Lost in the Light" because, literally, once you're lost in it, once you can see it, it doesn't go away. And even like the other day, it's been so dull, hasn't it, over Christmas? Like, it really bothers me because like your house we live in a barn now and the the windows are really low and really deep and there's just not a huge amount of light that gets in even though it's all open plan and I didn't realize it would really bother me um, until we've just hit this particular kind of winter Um, And then I went out with a friend the other day and and the sun was out and I didn't really notice it and it got really low and it was just kind of Margot was just playing and it started to cast all these shadows and I could see all the colours and the patterns and I was like, whoa! (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, I only had my phone with me. I didn't even have a camera, but it was just so exciting. And and there was nothing would ever take that away from me. It was like having that skill of being able to... See the light, but also see that light in your own stories, in your own passions, just kind of it felt right. Yeah. I think probably the best way to kind of describe it. And I, I'm not sure James was massively on board with the whole teaching idea to start with because he loves shooting, like that's his mm-hmm. that's his language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm um but my language is very much speaking as you're probably able to tell yeah, and, uh, <laughs>
0: what story? Um, all, you're all about words and story. well not all about words but like that, and that's, you know, comes across, I guess, in the Instagram account, which you mainly run, don't you? Yeah, um, yeah. And it's such a powerful combination between the images and the story that the light tells and then the stories that your words tell. And, and it's very much about life. It's a photography account, but it's so much more than that. It's about, yeah, how, how, how you're seeing life and how you're telling the story of your life and those around you. So I think it's, it's a beautiful combination.
1: Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. It takes such a while to get to those points though, doesn't it? Like thinking about the different stages. I mean, I don't want to encourage you all to start scrolling through our whole Instagram feed, but what you will see is so many changes, so many shifts, so many like, oh, we'll go down this road. Um, (laughs) And, you know, I think in, in, in low points, I've probably thought, oh, I just need to stick to something. And James very much gets that, like, I need a rhythm, I need a routine. This needs to people need to see it and go, that's them, or that's him, or you know, like having having that need to kind of um, oh gosh, what's the word? Kind of identify with what you're producing or what you look like or any of those things. And I think I'm kind of getting into that time of my life where. I do want to identify with what I do um, and what people see, but I also want to identify within myself, you know, I've kind of got to that point now where like being able to share a skill with somebody is incredible with, with other creatives that um, love what they do, but really want to be able to capture what they do or tell their own, even if they're not creative, be able to like tell their own, stories or explore avenues that they perhaps felt trapped with before, you know, and they weren't able to kind of um, try things out. And and I guess I learned that community and building communities was probably the best thing that I got out of teaching. And it it wasn't something that I initially kind of set it up to be. I don't think I really thought (laughs) um, that the community would be the biggest joy of you know of teaching of of running courses um but it's definitely got to the point with us now where um we're trying to work out a way of developing it but I don't know about you we kind of get to that point where in some ways I don't necessarily want to do it for money I don't want to have I don't want to have to earn like you know that connection between (laughs) <laughs> but in a similar position to to you guys, you know, we've got a family to support. We have to earn, you know. We we have to find a way of keeping things going on a mm-hmm. on a weekly, monthly basis and make ends meet. You know, it's not always what it what it looks like Um, yeah
0: no I can I really understand that and I guess I kind of I guess I would relate to that um with the podcast that the podcast feels very much that it's rooted in community and and sharing stories and same it doesn't I don't make any money it costs me money to host it and you know and time and energy but what it gives back to to me and to the people involved the people that listen is it's worth it but it is it's hard when you do have to kind of go yeah but I need to pay the mortgage so can I allocate that time but I guess yeah it's if you trying to figure out if you can find those pockets of time to dedicate to it to to feed your soul in a way that isn't connected to money
1: definitely yeah yeah and and I'd say that with you know any any kind of personal personal project going back to when we were saying you know that nurturing yourself and Mm -hmm. and really thinking about you know in terms of not just your mental health but the food you eat you know the fluids you put in your body the exercise that you give your body all those different elements you know the things that you read I think we've we've kind of become a society that absorb a lot of information these days there's such a lot um and it's fast paced. And I mean, like I said before, <laughs> I think I'm naturally quite an anxious person. Um, so that constant influx of information and, you know, different um, different opinions and different kind of, you know, aspects that are going on. And, you know, not only that, but there's so many opportunities, really, you know, you could try this, you could do this. Um, that could also go wrong, you know, like literally pointing out all these Different areas that really you, you've kind of just got to do something that that your heart's in. You've got to dig a little bit deeper and go to some degree. You know, can kind of carve out a little bit of time just to to do something that not necessarily it doesn't have to be to help other people, does it? But I'd certainly say in in my case, that's what I'm aiming for now. You know, I'd like to be able to share some of the experiences um that have happened over the years and the journeys and and you know the way that you kind of learn and share information and there's a lot of, there's a lot been lost without community um,
0: yeah. yeah and I think I think you're right I always come back to what you're just saying that it's storytelling and it's how we understand the world by sharing our stories with each other and And I think also something you said about, you know, whether people consider themselves as creative or not, it doesn't mean that they don't have a story to tell and to express. And and I guess by us all sharing our own stories, then that can encourage and can help others to share their own and maybe see see interest or value in their own story that maybe they didn't think was there because they didn't think, oh, nobody would be interested in what I have to say, Um, which isn't true. But it's about identifying,
1: isn't it? And Yeah, I mean, you know, there's so many different people with different stories and different lifestyles and and I quite often come across just from, you know, teaching the course or having different conversations with people that they don't feel their own self-worth or mm. um they don't really know where they're going with things or perhaps it's not even entered their head yet. You know, maybe they're not even in, in that, <laughs> at that point in their life, you know, they're just very much doing what they're doing every day they're working hard they you know they've got to pay the bills they've got to keep going and, and improving within their work environment but um, there's <laughs> it's, it's just such I keep saying about balance and things and, and we've talked before between the kind of three of us about how it's quite a scary world out there at the moment and there's um, lots of things we don't have choice over. there's lots of things we you know we don't necessarily have control over but but in a way in our little communities in our small spaces we really do um, and we really can help each other and bring out the best. Um, and I don't know whether or not that's you know that's something that can necessarily be done in a solitary space. I really do think that, you know, going back to old communities where there used to be a small village and, and there'd be a certain person that was really good at, at cooking, for instance, and, and and they would share the knowledge of that. And then you'd have somebody that would be we always talk about um, I don't know if you've heard the analogy with um, ADHD before, but they've they've <laughs> compared it to um, in years, years, years gone by that you would potentially have been the shepherd. Mm-hmm. So you would be the one that would be on constant high alert. You would be looking out for new paths to take in case there was danger. Um you'd be entertaining everything, keeping everybody going. Um, and and I just thought that was such a wonderful way of, of kind of looking at it. You know, it's like you kind of expect that it's, you know, you're gonna you're gonna have this way of life and you don't fit and you, you know, you feel Odd and out of it and and all that kind of thing and then you you chat to other people and you realize that perhaps you're just another element of that community that they really need yes yeah. um and and there's so many different variables within that community but they're all needed
0: yeah, yeah. I've, I've just looked out the window and it's snowing is it snowing yeah. where you are oh yes <laughs> Oh, thank you so much for talking to oh me. Oh my Elizabeth. gosh,
1: I've spoken so much. I'm so sorry. What,
0: what? That, that was the whole point of, of it. it. <laughs> you can find Jo on Instagram at themelias.co and you can also find the photography workshops she co-runs with her partner James online, themelias.co. Please refer to the show notes for links. Thank you so much for listening to Omni Regular. It really helps if you can review and subscribe as it helps other listeners find us and widen our audience. It truly does make such a difference.